0: It's time to learn real American economics. Part 4. Hayek and Keynes. Two peas in a pod. Come one, come all. It's the thriller in Manila. It's the great Ali versus Frazier rivalry. Get your tickets today. This is how the imaginary rivalry between Friedrich Hayek and John Maynard Keynes has been popularized, sort of as a battle of the titans, only now in the economic arena. But unlike the real Ali and Fraser, who bloodied each other unmercifully, this is a delusory myth, designed for the credulous. The only blood that will be spilt will come from the victims of British imperial economics. Within the construct of this manufactured contest, we are told that there are only two alternatives for economic and financial policy big government or free market. The fairy tale narrative goes like this Keynes's big government views ruled the roost from the Great Depression into the 1970s. Then they were knocked off their perch by the free market ideas of Hayek, who held sway until the financial crisis of 2007-2008, when Hayek's followers were TKO'd by the resurgent influence of Keynes. Will Keynes continue to reign as champ? Or will the scrappy Austrian make yet another comeback? Stay tuned. Cast your bets now. If you believe any of this, there is a bridge in Brooklyn you might want to buy. Subhead. Serving the same mother. In the 1920s and 30s, John Maynard Keynes, later to be anointed First Baron Lord Keynes, held sway at Cambridge University, while Friedrich Hayek toiled away across town issuing his pleas for a return to 19th century British liberalism from the London School of Economics. From these two locations, according to the narrative, sprang the great economic debate which would define all economic policy for the remainder of the 20th century. But it's all a fantasy, a deliberately created mental trap, one in which it is demanded that you submit to the contrived parameters of the debate. In reality, all that differs between these two British subjects is their choice of methodology. Cosmetically, Keynes and Hayek might appear to be different, uh, with personal individual choices of rouge and mascara, but but naked and unadorned, they are identical, Lombard Street tarts. Their fealty to the British financial empire is a fiercely held and shared commitment between them. In reading both Hayek and Keynes, one comes away with the impression that the American Revolution never happened, that Alexander Hamilton was never born, and that Abraham Lincoln did not launch the greatest economic revolution in human history. None none of this is ever mentioned. By either of these so called rivals, because their shared goal is to destroy the American economic tradition. The delinquent American children must be brought back into the embrace of the mother country. Whether it's Hayek's Constitution of Liberty or Keynes' general theory of employment, interest, and money, what wafts off the pages are the faint strains of rule Britannia, like the last wail of a dying empire. Subhead. Blood Brothers. When Hayek's Road to Serfdom was published, he sent a copy to Keynes. Months later, Keynes, then visiting America, wrote to Hayek, saying, quote, The voyage has given me the chance to read your book properly. In my opinion it is a grand book. We all have the greatest reason to be grateful to you for saying so well what needs so much to be said. You will not expect me to accept quite all the economic dicta in it, but morally and philosophically I find myself in agreement with virtually the whole of it, and not only in agreement with it, but in a deeply moved agreement, unquote. For his part, after Keene's death, Hayek wrote to his widow Lydia, describing Keynes as, quote, the, the one really great man I ever knew, and for whom I had unbounded admiration, the world would be a much poorer place without him. This was not simply a polite expression of commiseration. In reading over Hayek's correspondence and pronouncements, it is very clear that he suffered from a lifelong inferiority complex vis-à-vis Keynes, who after all had been elevated to the peerage by the monarchy, an honor that Hayek could only dream of. The quotations above and many others that could be given are not the words of enemies or even antagonists. Theirs was simply a polite difference of opinion about how to achieve the identical goal. As Keynes had written, They were in complete agreement, morally and philosophically. By the earliest twentieth century, by the earliest twentieth century, febrile seizures were beginning to rack the city of London, and its oligarchical cultural axioms were crumbling. The empire was in danger. Keynes and Hayek. Merely offered two possible pathways to preserve oligarchical rule, and those pathways were not mutual were not mutually exclusive, as witnessed in the nineteen eighties superstardom of their joint bastard love child, Milton Friedman. This same commitment. To the axioms of the British Empire, still today dominates the Hillsdale College curriculum. On November 14, 2021, College President Larry Arne proudly announced a new class series to be offered by the college Winston Churchill and Statesmanship. In promoting the class, Arne states, that Churchill was, quote, the greatest statesman of the 20th century, even one of the greatest statesmen in all of history, unquote. Anglophilia permeates all things Hillsdale. Subhead, money makes the world go round. Lyndon LaRouche often stated Money is an idiot. LaRouche's views on money and credit cohere perfectly with Abraham Lincoln, who in his 1858 lecture, Discoveries and Inventions, is explicit that the sole source for all actual human wealth, all human happiness, lies in the power of the human mind to make new discoveries to create revolutionary breakthroughs which transform human productivity and enhance human progress. British monetarism, on the other hand, misidentifies human wealth with money, an error that Benjamin Franklin, Abraham Lincoln, Alexander Hamilton, and John Quincy Adams would never have fallen into. British monetarism, whether of the Keynes or Hayek variety, has its roots in John Locke's 1691 work, Some Considerations on the Consequences of Lowering of Interest and the Raising of the Value of Money. In that work, Locke defines money as a special kind of property one imbued with almost magical powers, which turns the wheels of trade, money is de facto, synonymous with, and the self-evident source of all wealth. The British Empire, as also the earlier Dutch and Venetian Empires, were all based on this empiricist notion of money, they were financial empires, private financial empires. And this rule by a private financial elite defines the imperial system down to the present day, to, the, to what is currently called globalization, or the Great Reset. During the 19th and 20th century, the city of London established a system of private central banking, including central bank money, and spread this system worldwide for the sole purpose of enforcing upon sovereign nations a money system ruled by a private imperial financial elite. It should come as no surprise that both Keynes and Hayek accept the dictatorial private central banking system as untouchable, nor that they both based all of their economic models, all of their equations, and all of their policies on defending the axiomatic money system of the ruling class. For Hayek and Keynes both, it's all about money, how to defend its value, how to manipulate it, and how to profit by it. Human beings and the physical economy are of little concern. Take, for example, Keynes' 1913 book, Indian Currency and Finance, which he wrote as an employee of the exchequer. At that time, India had just undergone two major famines, uh, which were both the result of British colonial policy, which had killed more than 10 million people. Yet in Keynes' book, famine and starvation are never mentioned. Uh, living standards and education are never mentioned. Science and scientific progress is never mentioned. Instead, Keynes's only topic is, is a reform of the Indian currency and banking system so as to integrate Indian finances more fully into the London-based global financial system to make India a more functional and subservient member of the British Monetary Empire. If anything, Hayek was even more indifferent than Keynes as to the fate of the native colonies. Subhead Magic in 1921, Keynes published his first major work, A Treatise on Probability. It was lavishly praised by Bertrand Russell, who called it, quote, undoubtedly the most important work on probability that has appeared for a very long time, unquote. And he said that, that the book as a whole is, quote, one which is, it is impossible to praise too highly," unquote. Now, as to the field of probability theory, there are many different and competing varieties, and this is not the place to go into them. Uh, for example, Ludwig von Mises's brother, Richard Edler von Mises, was a prolific writer in this field, and, uh, uh, but his brother Ludwig claim to disagree with him in many of his conclusions. Nevertheless, with both Hayek and von Mises, as well as with Keynes and his followers, they all base their economic and financial theories on some version, one version or another, of probability theory. And the one thing they all have in common is the principle of uncertainty as has been discussed earlier in this series of articles, that the future is unknowable. That for Hayek, all human progress is accidental, uh, arising out of unintended consequences which result from the workings of the free market. Now think about how ludicrous that is absolutely ludicrous. We know that if we go back to the moon, if we we take human beings back to the moon and then onto Mars, that we will unleash breakthroughs in science and technologies, which will transform the human condition. And we, we will make discoveries which will dramatically affect mankind's future. We know this. We also know that if we develop and deploy fusion energy we will create a resource a resource which has the potential to uplift the conditions of life for every human being on the planet we know that too this is all willful this is what Abraham Lincoln meant when he spoke of discoveries and, and inventions yet this in, intentional willful creative human action to act upon the future is denied by both Hayek and Keynes because their obsession is with money and the continued hegemony of the moneyed elite. In 1934, through his powerful connections, Keynes wrangled a meeting with Franklin Roosevelt in the White House where he bent FDR's ear and tried his patience for more than an hour. After he left, Roosevelt remarked to his labor secretary, Francis Perkins, I saw your friend Keynes. He left a whole rigmarole of figures. He must be a mathematician rather than an economist. FDR's sense of smell was working quite well for him that day. Mathematical probability theory, as deployed into the field of economics, has its origins entirely in the writings of Galileo Galilei, concerning an investigation on dice, uh, uh, Girolamo Cardano, books on games of chance, and Abraham de Moivre, Doctrine of Chance, uh, all written in the 17th and early 18th centuries. Uh, and the economic financial methods of both Hayek and Keynes not only have their origins in those works, they also resemble nothing so much as John Law utilizing mathematical formulas At the gambling casinos of Venice's, at the gambling tables of Venice's Redotto casino. For the British twins, all economic processes are unknowable. It's all chance. It's all fortuna. And it's all about money, not intentional human progress. And all of it, is designed from money to central banking to free trade to the denial of national sovereignty to ruthlessly perpetuate the rule of the private British financial empire and to prevent the upward development of the people. End of part four. Next part the Anglo-Dutch Empire.